kid comes up and says, hey, there's cops in here looking for y'all. So I'm like, man. So we we hit the side door. A cop comes around the corner. It's like, hey, and we take off. We're getting it. We're going, you know, we're flying past traffic. He's got a helmet on. I don't. And now we've got cops behind us. And we're in a high-speed chase with the police. Pull over and pull over. I'm like, no, don't. Go, go, go. Because all I'm concerned with is what's going to happen to me when I get home. Welcome back to the Broken Home Podcast. Thank you all for coming through. We got one hell of an awesome guest tonight, guys. But before we get into it, if you see that red button down there, hit that subscribe. Tonight, we got Jay Williams. How you doing tonight, bro? I'm good, man. No complaints. Glad to be on. Uh, New Age Plug. Kind of tapped me in with y'all. Said, hey, go check out the you know, Broken Home Podcast. So, I ain't got no problem showing love to, to up-and-coming channels. I think everybody should do the same. So I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks, man. Excellent. We appreciate you so much coming through. Yeah, we're doing good, except for this fucking blizzard happening right now. Yeah, that's crazy. You were telling me about that. That's a nightmare. You said two degrees. Like, I'm never, ever, ever going anywhere that's two degrees. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> How we usually do it around here, Jay, is we like to take it right back to the beginning. Why don't you tell us where you're from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Charlotte. Um, well, I was originally born here in Richmond, Virginia. And prior to me, prior to my dad meeting my mom, he went to prison for murder. He killed a man. And then he came out of prison. He met my mom. Well, there was still a bunch of beef brewing behind that. This guy that he killed had a big family, a lot of brothers. And it was like inevitable that somebody else is going to lose their life. So him and my mom, right after I was born, they moved to charlotte so i grew up in charlotte we grew up uh we had less i'm not gonna say that we didn't have what we need we just didn't have you know we didn't have what we wanted we didn't have the nicer things very uh abusive household like when i mean abusive like fist there was no not that you know i'm whooping you because i love you and then you know explain it to you no i had a very very violent father who was the definition of a child abuser who um you know, I remember he beat my mom when I was younger. He used to beat my mom a lot. And then I guess he figured out that he couldn't beat her no more. That, you know, she he was eventually going to go to jail behind that. So he turned the violence on us. You have brothers and sisters then? I do. I've got half siblings that I don't know much about from his um, relationship prior to my mom. And then I've got a brother and two sisters. But out of like the four of us, me being the oldest, I took the blunt of it. You like, were the punching you know, bag. I was. And, they, you know, I'm not going to say they didn't um, take it as well because they did. But I was always very, very protective over my siblings. So there would be times that they would do something wrong. And I knew that that was going to result in them getting hurt. And when I mean hurt, I mean, like, hit with something, a broom broken over your head, punched in the face, held on the ground and just and beat like a grown man. So a lot of times I would. I'm not going to say a lot of times, anytime I was there, if they had done something wrong and he was looking to hurt somebody, I would take blame for it. I would, you know, I'm sorry I did it. So then the, the violence would, you know, it would always come my way. Man, that's a lot for a child to be taking on that responsibility with your father. Was it substance issues? Did he have PTSD from prison? What was it? He uh, he definitely had PTSD. I remember he never wanted the lights on. 
He always wanted the house dark. And if he laid down and take a nap, everybody had to go to sleep. Like there was not going to be any movement. You know how it's kind of just like when you're locked up. Um, if that cell door opens or there's any movement going on around you, you're not going to sleep. So yeah. he definitely took that from from prison. The whole, you know, it's going to be quiet when I lay down. It's going to be dark. There's not going to be any movement. But it wasn't substances. He was raised on an Indian reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina. And he was raised by some very violent parents in the type of type of place where child abuse didn't exist. You know, what I mean, where if the neighbor seen the kid doing something, the neighbor would come out and beat your child. And it just wasn't a big issue. They didn't uh, they didn't abide by the same laws that everybody else did. So he was an abused child. He was a kid that grew up being punched on and beat on and hurt. And uh, he just didn't. He had very, very, very bad anger issues, couldn't control his anger. So rather than, you know, be a father or a man and say, hey, look, don't do this. The anger would take over. And for a while, he did drink. He drank up until I was I want to say I was about five. And him and my mom were fighting really bad one day. And we I, I can see this. It's great. I have a great memory. But we <laughs> were living in this place called Jerry's Trailer Park in Charlotte, North Carolina, not far from the Charlotte Motor Speedway, Mecklenburg County. And there was this big water tower out there where we lived at, right? So I remember I would climb up, and it was way up in the air. I would climb up to the top of this water tower whenever things got bad. And I would just kind of sit there as a little kid with my legs dangling over it. And you could, like, look down and, you know, overlook the trailer park. You could see over to where, like, the Charlotte Motor Speedway was. You could see everything around you because, you know, a water tower is way up in the air. Yeah. So in this day in particular, he was, uh, he was beating my mom real bad, and it was raining. So I ran out the back door of the trailer and I went to the water tower and they were just getting ready to start setting some new trailers out there. So they had this big mound of sand that like a dump truck had dumped out that they would use to like put in the lots. Yeah. And I'm about halfway up this water tower climbing this ladder because they have like a service ladder that goes up the side when I slip. And I remember just falling and I still have these reoccurring dreams about falling, but I remember falling and then it was just lights out. And I remember I woke up to a little girl. It was like my little crush. She was like a little friend of mine, but she was like the first little girl I actually realized like boys like girls. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. This little blonde-haired chick and her mom, I remember like it's it's like a movie scene. Like your eyes are blinking open slow. And then I remember them, I'm looking at them and I can hear them talking, but it feels like they're a million miles away. And then I blacked out. So I was taken to the hospital. I was in the hospital for a while. And when I came out, my dad vowed to never drink again. Well, when he stopped drinking, he stopped smiling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the only time he let loose and actually like wasn't just a pure monster was when he was drinking. But then it would always lead to him becoming a monster. But after he quit drinking, the violence really, really turned up. Like he didn't have that vice anymore. He didn't have that to go to. And I don't know if it's like he blamed my mom. He blamed us for him not being able to drink. But you would think that with the drinking, that would be the source of the violence. When in reality, when he quit drinking, it was just it was so much worse. What kind of injuries did you have at that age for him to just quit drinking? Um, well, the, the hospital got involved. And when they asked me why, why, why were you climbing a water tower? I told him my dad was beating my mom. I'm a five year old kid. Yeah. You know, and they're like, excuse me. And I'm like, my dad was beating my mom. And they were like. Does he beat you? And we've been threatened in the past. We have been told, we've been trained, we've been groomed. Like yeah. when it came to just everything that went on in the household, like he had us convinced, if you ever say anything, I will kill you. 
So I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, what do you mean beating your mom? And I'm like thinking about everything he's told me after I made that comment. I'm like, well, they were just arguing. They were fighting. So at that point, um, CPS started looking into us and investigating. And he laid off for a while. Kind of one of those things to where like the caseworkers go away. Everything goes back to normal. No marks on the children. But um, injuries like I've had, I mean, everything you can imagine. I mean, the, the black eyes, the bloody noses, broken ribs, just bruises, whelps all over the body. But at that point, then when I fell, it was pretty much more or less head trauma. You know, my, yeah. had that sand not have been there, I'd have died. I ended up yeah. in a sand mound. Had it, and if I had not hit that, it would have been straight gravel. And sand's not the softest thing to fall on the world, but it's, it's I mean, to fall on in the world, but it's definitely much softer than just boom, you know, straight yeah. impact with gravel. Yeah, that's for fucking sure. Yeah. What is what is your relationship with your father today? He's is dead. he still around? Oh, he's dead. He's okay, dead. I'm sorry. To he hear. died in '97. I'm not. My dad dying was uh, it was the gift and the curse. It released us. To this day, the only person I've ever I could say like truly ever feared was my father. Yeah. And when he when he died, like my fear of man kind of went with him. If that makes sense. Yep. Like he was my biggest, the biggest thing I feared. And when I would fight other kids, I know this now because I've been to counseling and stuff, but I would like picture him or the things that he had done to me that I wanted to do to him. I was too small to do, but in fighting with another guy my size, I could do it. And I would yep. unleash that on, on them. But yeah, he died in 97. I was 17 years old. And once he died, it was just like I, I, had to, I hit the streets running. I was angry. I had a lot of unresolved issues when it came to, you know, the things that had taken place between me and him. I felt like I was cheated. Like, you know, like we, we needed to have that final showdown. I needed to eventually, and this is going to sound wrong, but I needed to put hands on him for all yeah. the things he had done to me, done to my mother, done to my brothers and sisters. I needed to whoop him and I needed them to see it. And I needed him to know that like, you can't beat me. I'm, I'm more than you. But he died. And when he died, it like it took me so by surprise and just left me like just angry at the world, just mad with all this unresolved shit going on inside of me, you know. And I so I started drinking. I started drinking prior to the age of 17. Um, by around 15, I was drinking daily, you know. Okay. So by the time I was 17, I already not knowing it was an alcoholic, had already gotten into to popping Xanax, just like <laughs> It was just like, like every, it was an everyday thing, you know? Yeah. But his passing was definitely when things uh, turned up a lot. What was the cause of his death? He was diabetic. And okay. um, they said he went in for a, he had had an open heart surgery in the past and one of his legs had went numb. So he went in to have open heart surgery. And during the surgery, he had a stroke and it pushed a blood clot from his leg straight to his brain. Oh, causing damn. him to uh, go brain dead. How old was he? 52. 52. So fairly young still then. Yeah, he's fairly young. Point. Yeah. Yeah. It before before your father died, was there ever a time that you and two you two ever got close to having it that one on one with each other? Oh yeah. That's and that's what left me so mad because that was our final, our our last interaction. That's what it was. I had a girl, um, I had a girlfriend at the time that was staying the night at the apartment and we had been up all night, 17 years old. Yeah. And, um, I'd been in and back and forth between even living there. I left home several times and come back, but I'd come back and this girl, she, uh, 
stayed the night, and the next morning I had to get up for work. So my brothers and sisters are knocking on the door. They're getting up for school, and the company I'm working for, they would pick me up. So the van is out front honking the horn. And my dad was downstairs, and he's running his mouth. He was up all night with that little whore, like just disrespectful. So I come down the staircase, and at that moment there, I'd had it. Like, um, I'm, I have a lack of sleep. I was up late. I'm tired. And, me, I just didn't like him. I didn't. I was tired of it. There was no forgiving the things he had done to me and my, my, my brothers and sisters. So my mom is standing in the kitchen, and then I come down the staircase, and he's in the living room, and he's running his mouth, and I've got my backpack with my work stuff, getting ready to go to work, and I just dropped the bag. And he's standing there, and I'm like, you know, fuck it, man. Come on, let's go. And I rushed at him and my mom got in between us. And I told him, I was like, I'll kill you. I'll fucking kill you. And he was running his mouth. And I was like, I hate you. I hope you fucking die. I'll kill you. And my mom, the girl had already went out the door. My mom is pushing me because my mom, I had told my mom, I was like, the next time he comes at me, I'm going to fuck him up. And she she had told me, she's like, he'll kill you, Jay. He'll kill you. And I'm, I, I told her, I said, he can't beat me. I've been out in these streets. I know what I can do. I don't think he can beat me. I've just never fought back. It's time I'll fight back. So we got into that. My mom is pushing me and he's trying to get around my mom and she shoves me out the front door and she locks it. And um, so I go on, the girl leaves, I go to work and that would be the last time I, I saw or spoke to him. He died three days later. Oh, damn. Wow. Yeah, that would be very difficult then because I bet you it was a very confusing moment for yourself too as well because on one hand, he's been your abuser your whole life. On the other hand, he's your father and he's been in your home the whole your whole life. Well, I always, always like, I'd go to my friends' houses and I'd see their dads and I'd see how like their their houses were and their, their families were and then they'd want to come to my house and my dad, like, he had no problem embarrassing me in front of my friends. Like mm -hmm. he was himself all day. Like he would hit me in front of my friends. He would threaten my friends. Like, so I didn't really want people to come to my house, you know? And I always dreamed that like, like one day he would just be normal, that he would just, you know, like come around. Like in the 17 years he was alive, he never once even said, I love you. He was that type of man. He was just an angry, angry man. There was never a, a hug, good night, I love you, you're my son. Never none of that. So it made me into essentially what I became, a hardened, like, I have a big heart. That's something yeah. I know about myself. But for the longest time, I didn't. For the longest time, I was kind of what he was turning me into, you know. But, yeah, it was. It was a lot to take in because I always, looking back on it now, you know, now I'm 43 years old. I, I was, I wonder, like, would there ever come a time where he would have, you know, seen his errors, seen the wrongs, seen, seen that he was doing, you know, the wrong thing and maybe we could have made things right but there was just there was no outcome yeah and it sucks when you've got something like that going on and you don't get to see the outcome you don't get to yeah. see like what was to come it just that chapter just is it never finished it just left yeah. off with him dying yeah they tore the page out that's it and it, it left me it left me angry i just wanted him to in some way shape or form pay for what he had done like pay for what you've done to me and my brothers and sisters. And a part of me wanted to hurt him. Like, yeah, I've since Rightfully forgiven so. him. I've, I've since forgiven him. Um, but it took a, it took a long time, you know? Yeah. If we were just to jump ahead for a moment, have you ever seen your father in yourself now that you're 43 years old? My temper, 
Absolutely. Okay. My temper is uh my temper scares me at times. And that's like with my kids, I don't I don't whip my kids. I don't I don't spank my children. I don't put my hands on my children. And me and my wife were conflicted about it at times, but like I've told her, I'm like, I'm afraid. She's like, afraid of what? I'm like, what if what's in him is in me? Like, what if yeah. I was to, you know, go too far when it comes to one of my kids? And she's like, well, you have to be a dad. You have to. I'm like, I don't have to. I don't have to hit them to to get my exactly. point across. Yeah. But as far as the temper goes, um, that's there 100 percent. I've seen this man snap. And in an instant, there just be blood everywhere. You know, and I know that's I know I know I've gotten that from him. I, it was it's just in me. Yeah. Yeah. But you've been consciously just trying to break that cycle because like you were saying, his dad's dad was abusive. Look at how he turned out. Like, are you consciously like this is not happening with my kids because of what I've seen? For, for sure. Everything I do is um, it's aimed at being a better person, aimed at giving my children the life that I never had. I, I, I take a lot of pride in being a good dad. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I take my son to school every single morning and I, I get him out, you know, my truck and he, he goes to walking down the sidewalk with his teacher. And there's not a single morning that goes by that I don't roll the window down and say, hey. And he turns around and looks at me and I said, I love you. Yeah. And this is every single day. You know, I, I refuse to to be him. I refuse to be anything like him. And the good thing, there's nothing really, I can't say there's anything good about growing up that way, but what, it, what happens when you have that type of father is it teaches you what not to be. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he showed me everything that I don't want to be when it comes to being a dad. So I, you know, I make sure that I provide for my children um, that, you know, when that, when the, when the opportunity is there to make more money, I go and get it. And I show them that, they're loved. I teach them right from wrong. I instill morals in them. I don't want my kids to fear me. I want them to respect me. Yeah. And there was a the big difference. difference. I didn't respect him. I didn't respect him for what he had done to me, done to my mother, done to any of us, but I feared him. And, you know, people can control you with fear. Fear controls the room. Yeah. But that doesn't always mean you respect the person. But to, to answer that question. Yeah. I, um, he taught me, you know, to be everything that he's not. And I'm proud to say that I am that. That's what's up, man. A lot of the a lot of the things that you said so far, I I feel like I totally relate. Like the trailer park, the, the Indian reservation, um, the father like that, because it's the same way how I pretty much grew up. I didn't know my dad till I was 12, and then I was just forced to come live with him. I was sent to go live with him, and he was an alcoholic as well. He got brain damage because he got drunk at the bar and he got dragged down the road and hit by a vehicle. So it was all this turmoil. And all I was seeing all the time is an angry dude because he was pissed because of his accident. So I just inherited those traits as well, because that's what I was seeing. And now that I'm older and I got kids, I look at my father as the textbook not to do. Do the opposite right. of this and be the best right. person you can be every single fucking day. Right. That's how I live it. Like, like, and growing up around him, um, we saw things, we heard things like crime wasn't something that I got into, like out in the streets. Crime was something that was introduced to me in the household. In the home. I mean, okay. Yeah. Like we, we, I watched it. I watched him, you know, you hear a lot as a kid, you're, even if you're not watching, cause when guys would come over, you'd be like, go to your room. 
yeah. I go to my room, but the first thing I'm going to do is go to the door and I'm going to listen. And, you know, I would hear things and, you know, you think he survived? No, nah, he didn't survive. His, his head was split in half, you know what I mean? And then you would see, like, the big bales. Like, I seen bales of weed. And I remember we had a small little camper on our front driveway one time. And it just sat there for the longest time. And I'm, I'm a kid, so I would play in it. And I remember I found two bricks in it. You know what I mean, I'm just digging in the cabinet and I, I found a towel up there inside of a black bag and I opened this black bag and there were there were bricks in it, like just straight kilos of coke in this bag. Oh, and I damn. remember he came home and he was like, hey, 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 you know, like he beat me. Stay out of that trailer. And he, I couldn't. Now I understand why he flipped the way he did. But once he caught me in the trailer, like he beat the living shit out of me. And then he put a padlock on it. And oh, also, yeah. it wasn't like I left a household and then went and became a criminal. No, I watched the criminal activity. You grew up in 101 criminology. I grew up in it. That's it. <laughs> like we were taught, you know, you don't tell on nobody. Like if I yeah. came home, say me and my brother got to fighting and my brother ran home and told on me. My brother, first I'm going to get beat for whatever my brother just told on me for. And then my brother's going to get beat for telling on me. You know what I mean? Like we were yeah. just, my dad smoked a lot of weed. He was a heavy, heavy weed smoker. And I remember back in the 80s, D.A.R.E. was a big thing. The, yeah. The, yeah. The, program in school and uh, i came home with the little pamphlet and he's seen it now this is a man that reads at like a second grade level you know he stopped going to school when he was really young because they had farms and he said that each morning like this wagon would come through and they would get on the back of the wagon and go pick tobacco all day or cotton all day that's what they did on the reservation to you know get their money so school was never of an importance to him but he knew when i got i was telling my mom about the, the officer coming to the school and the program and I remember like him snatching me up and slapping me around and telling me, if you tell that cop anything that goes on in this house, or you ever repeat anything that goes on in this house, I'll kill you. I'll kill your brothers and sisters. I'll kill your mama. And I, it was just um, a constant level of fear that we, we kind of kind of dealt with, even with him being a convicted felon. He didn't care. He had a house full of guns, always kept guns, you know. So the crime started. I'm not I'm not going to blame him because at the end of the day, I chose to make the, the choices I made in life. Yep. Yep. But I also didn't grow up in the in the average household. Yeah. <laughs> when you you become part of the environment that you, yeah. you're in. For sure. And how yeah. old were you when you, you first got uh, involved with the law? What were you doing? Uh, 10, 11 years old. Man. I had these three kids, man, Cam, Cooter and Rico. And they used to pick on me. And it was these three black kids in my school. My, my school was predominantly black. And um, I was known to fight. I was a small, you know, smaller kid, dirty blonde hair, didn't keep a fresh haircut, nothing like that. We, you know, we just didn't. We didn't have the money for that type of stuff. Like your dad cut your hair type thing or your mom cut your yeah. hair type thing. But I remember these kids would pick on me, man. And um, I would fight them. I would fight them with everything I had. And this was like an all the time, every single day in the bathroom. And you know, I'm getting beat at home. And now when I go to school, I got these three bullies. It's not one. It's just three different kids yeah. that are way bigger than me. And they're jumping me in the bathroom. And they would like, wait, wait until they, at some point today, he's got to go in that bathroom. He's going to have to use the bathroom. And I remember, man, just so many times fighting these three kids. And Cam was the bigger of the three. He was the fat, like this fat black dude. I'm 10. I'm a fourth grader. Yeah. So one weekend I'm with my mom. And she was big into like the yard sales. We didn't have the money for like Kmart and stuff like that, but we had the money to like spend a dollar at a yard sale. And that's where she would pick up little knickknacks. Well, the Rambo movie was real big at the time. And they were making those Rambo knives with the compass on the bottom of them. Oh, the it Bowie has, like, knives. You could unscrew the bottom. It had like matches in it and it had a compass yeah. on it. Well, this is on a table. 
And I, I asked my mom, and this knife is massive. It's a big, big knife. It's got like a saw blade on the back of it. It's a huge knife. Yeah. And um, I remember asking my mom, I was like, will you buy this for me? And she was like, no, I'm not. I'm not you're 10 years old. I'm not buying you the big ass knife. Put that knife down, right? So she's over there talking to the lady about some lamp or something. When she's not looking, I take the knife. I shove it down in front of my pants, and I cover it with my shirt. I didn't know at the time why I wanted the knife. Come Monday morning, all weekend, I played with this knife. I kept it out of her view. You know, I'm a kid. Come Monday, I put it in my backpack. And I remember having to use the bathroom. And I'm like, man, they're going to jump me. <laughs> I can remember thinking this. I'm like, they're going to jump me. So I took that knife, and it was in a sheath. And the, the sheath had like a sharpening stone on the front of it. And I put it in the front of my pants, and I unclicked it, and I covered it with my shirt. And I went in the bathroom, and they would jump me at the same urinal. I wouldn't go in the stall because if I went in the stall, then I'd be cornered. So I go to the urinals. I go to this urinal and I unzip my pants and I'm standing there with the knife in my hands. I'm acting like I'm peeing, but I'm not. And you're doing the bait. They come in and dude shoves me. And when he shoves me, I turn around with the knife and I just start swinging. Now there's other kids in the bathroom. So they all go running out and I come out behind them and I'm not playing like this is not play pretend. This is not Fisher Price. I'm really trying to cut these kids. I'm angry. Got all this shit going on at home. And now I got this going on at school. Like, y'all gonna leave me alone. So I come out the bathroom and I'm swinging this knife. And it just so happens the gym teacher was coming down the hallway. And he just, no holes barred. To hell with the fact that I'm a 10-year-old kid. Just picks me up. Boom! Slams me. The knife slides across the floor. Holds me down. Some more teachers come up. And the, the kids, then all of a sudden, they go into victim mode. You know what I mean? Oh, we were in the bathroom. He pulled out a knife. So um, they handcuffed me. It was a big deal. They handcuffed me, put me in the back of the cop car, took me away. But with me being 10 um, and plus school shootings weren't that big of a thing yet that, you know, yeah. all this stuff hadn't happened yet. Knives were very common in 1989, 1990. You know, I mean, you kids take a pocket knife to school and get caught with it. It's no big deal. Not like today. But that would be the first one. They, they took me to the police station and they were talking about this and that. And they called my mom and my mom came and got me. And then, um, so I went home and I got beat. Uh, every anything and everything we take, it just anything would cause you to get beat. Yeah. So I got that beaten, and uh, I had a friend at the time. We had moved. We were living in Henderson, North Carolina. I had a friend, Chad Overcash, and that Christmas, he got a dirt bike, and he was my friend. He knew what was going on in my house. I talked to him. He had seen the bruises, the marks, and I could, I could never really bring myself to cry. You know, I was just one of those kids. I had so much anger. I couldn't cry. And if I did, it would be like tears of anger. Yeah. But I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him one day and it's getting dark. And he's like, all right, man, I'm getting again. We're at his house because, like I said, I didn't like to go to my house. So he's like, all right, man, I'm going in. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, you going home? I was like, I don't know, man. I'll probably just walk around for a little while or whatever. And he was like, let's go. And I was like, go where? And he was like, come on, let's just go. I, like he knew I wanted to get away. And I was like, where are we going to go? He's like, I don't know. Let's just get on the dirt bike and go. So I'm like, uh, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. You know, I didn't have anything. He goes in the house. They had a big water jug that they had been saving up money to go to the beach. He dumps all the change in a backpack, grabs like, we're just kids, man. We don't know no better. We don't grab any real survival stuff. He grabs like a yeah. loaf of bread, some peanut butter and jelly, throws his stuff in the backpack. And we get on the back of the dirt bike and we take off. So now it's gotten dark and we went by this girl. I remember her name, Autumn Sharp. We went by her house and she's like, y'all, my parents are going to see y'all. At this point now, a little bit of time has passed. I think I'm, I'm coming up on 12. 
She's like, my parents are going to see you. My parents are going to see y'all. Y'all can stay in the woods beside my house. So we're like, cool. So we're thinking of how we're going to build like a little shack to live in. You know what I mean? Just basic big stuff. dreams. Yeah. Right. Big <laughs> dreams. And the, the off Providence Road in Charlotte was a skating ring was I was like, let's go to the skating ring. I'd never really been in the skating ring. My mom and dad didn't give me money to go to skating ring, but I always heard kids talk about it in school. So we go to the skating ring. By now, they've put out a bolo on two missing out, two missing juveniles. We're missing. It's, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. Dirt bike's gone. We're gone. Everybody's out looking for us. And we're in the, we're in the skating ring and a kid comes up and says, hey, there's cops in here looking for y'all. So I'm like, man. So we, we hit the side door and no sooner than we get on the dirt bike, a cop comes around the corner. like, hey, and we take off. So now here we are. My friend Chad is driving. I'm on the back of the dirt bike and we're getting it. We're going, you know, we're flying past traffic. He's got a helmet on. I don't. And now we've got cops behind us. And we're 12 years old on a dirt bike in a high-speed chase with the police. So we're running. And he's like, I'm going to pull. I can hear him. He's like turning his home. He's like, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to pull over. I'm like, no, don't. Go, go, go. Because all I'm concerned with is what's going to happen to me when I get home. You don't care about the police. No, You care about your father. Right. I don't care if you wreck this dirt bike and we both die. I don't care if you hit a tree, we hit an oncoming car. I just do not want to deal with what I'm going to have to deal with when I go home. Just go, man. Just go. Drive. Go faster, faster. Go. And we come around this curve. And when we do, a cop car comes beside us and we clip the car. And we slot. Boom. We go to tumbling. And that that impact, child versus concrete, concrete wins every time. So yeah. we're all disoriented. I don't know. I, I hit like it was a, a ditch line and grass and tall weeds. And once again, I was spared. And he like slid on the gravel and over into the side of the road. And no sooner than we can get up, the cops are on us. Knees on our necks. They're not, you know, y'all just ran. We Cars are running off the road. There's two kids on a dirt bike. So they take us to the police station. And it was weird. It was the first time this had ever happened. They weren't really concerned with why I ran. They started questioning me about my dad. Like when they mm-hmm. got me in there, it wasn't, they knew who we were. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, this was in, in Henderson, North Carolina, East Lincoln. It's not a big place. They knew, everybody knew everybody. Well, like I told you, I'd found those bricks in there. And then my dad was involved in weed. The guys he, he dealt with were known drug dealers. So they start questioning me about my dad and all I'm telling them is I don't want to go home. Like, I don't know nothing about none of that. And they start giving me aliases, asking me, have you ever heard this name? You ever heard anybody calling this? You ever heard anybody like really drilling me at this age about my dad? And I'm like, no, 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 no. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to book you into the detention. And I'm thinking, great. That is awesome. Like, (laughs) this is the best case scenario. You're locking me up. Thank you, God. I don't have to go home. And I'm standing there and I come out in the hallway and my mom and my dad are standing there. And I can see the fear on my mom's face. And my dad walks up and grabs me by my shirt in the back of the police, but in the back of the police department. It's like, come on. And starts walking me towards the door. And they're like, sir, stop. And he turns and looks at him and tells him, it's my fucking son. He's going with me. He's going home. I know that I've got a beating coming. I know. So we get in the car like they let him take me. They didn't stop him. Oh, really? Sh- oh, yeah, he was nuts. They he, they knew about him. So he takes me. We get in the car. And um, as we're driving, my mom's driving. He's beating me the whole time. We get to the house. He beats the shit out of me. And from there, um, 
we moved. He ended up getting into a big shootout with one of the guys I was talking about um, earlier that with the Coke and all that, it was a, they had a huge shootout and we moved from there to uh, Richmond, Virginia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, you're doing good. I'm going to tell you that you're doing fucking good considering where you come from and, and you only shared the tip of the iceberg here. I'm imagining. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, uh, that was just a kid. That was just me. That was before I really, when I got to Richmond, Richmond was a whole different animal. Like where we lived at in um, Charlotte and Henderson, North Carolina, it was, it was more spread out. When we got to Richmond, it was straight hood. I mean, like now it's yeah. not just, I got Chad to play with. There's, there's teenagers everywhere. And when you move into the, to the, you know, better neighborhoods, everybody's into everything. Yep. And I was quick. Like I remember coming here and a lot of kids weren't even smoking weed yet. And I had been smoking weed for years at 12 years old. I had been, I didn't like cigarettes, but I smoked weed for the longest time. And I would just steal my dad's weed. And I remember like all the other kids are like, what you smoke weed. I'm like, yeah, y'all don't smoke weed. This is when I first get here 12 years old. And they're like, nah. So I start turning kids on to smoking weed. And I actually would take like normal everyday good kids and kind of drag them into the messed up shit I had going on in my head but I was never the follower man I was always uh, even in, in in the crime aspect I can't blame anybody else I was always a leader go breaking houses if I couldn't fit through the window I'd shove another little kid through the window and he doesn't lock the door yeah <laughs> yeah how old were you at that time so you're were you 12 then when you got 12 to, uh when what happened when you Which got part? to Richmond when you got to Richmond? yeah I was 12 1992 um, right before 93, we moved here to Richmond. We came here in the in that same little camper I was talking about that was hooked to the back of a truck. Uh, it was six of us. And we came to my aunt and uncle's house here in Richmond, and we lived in their backyard. And this, this is like one of those little pop-up campers. Oh, yeah. Where it's got like a bed, and then you can take the table and turn it into a bed. Yeah. So it was six of us living in this little pop-up camper. It's legitly about the size of the average bathroom. And yeah, we were staying in my aunt and uncle's backyard. And uh, my mom, shout out to my mom, man. She was always a hardworking woman. She worked two, three jobs at times to take care of us. My dad was one of those guys that if he couldn't make top pay, he climbed trees, had owned, you know, tree climbing companies that would always fail. But uh, if he couldn't make top pay, he just wouldn't go to work. So mm. my mom, she saves up and uh, she gets us out of there. And we moved to this trailer park called Shady Hill. And Shady Hill was just a, it's a drug den. It was where you go when it's like a last resort. You know what I mean? When all else fails, you can go live there. And out there, it was really bad. Like it was, it was alcoholics and crackheads and dope fiends and just, but I got, I liked it because what I come to realize real quick was that when we moved out there, I wasn't the only kid that, that was getting beat anymore. You know, the child abuse was more common out here. Other kids were were dealing with the same thing. So I kind of, I felt at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing to, to tell one of my friends. Yeah, my, my pops has been riding down on me and them to lift their shirt up and be bruised up or them to have bruises on them, you know? Yeah, yeah. you don't feel yeah. so alone. No, I didn't. I met, and a lot of these guys are, are friends of mine. I'm not going to say a lot. I have some of these guys that I met when we first got here are, are friends to this day. But we were all... The friends I made when I got here were way different than they were in Charlotte and in North Carolina. We were all poor here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody was poor. 
Yeah. That's, did you so, fit in? Did you fit um, in at yeah. school as well? Yeah. I did. But the thing is, see, I started, I started getting locked up. And so once you start getting locked up, you kind of have to live up to that bad boy persona. So I got big into breaking into cars as a teen. And I, I broke it. Actually, it was a, it was a little BMW and it was out there. There was this apartment complex right next to where we were living. And we, at the time we would steal CDs, the decks out of your car, the speakers. There was times we found guns, money, drugs, whatever we can get out of your car value. We're going to get it. So I go up in this car and the driver's side window is up and I don't look around at the passenger side. I look at the top and I look in the car and it's got like this Alpine deck in it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to steal the deck. And there's a CD book laying right there in the center console. So I climb up on the car and it's got the sunroof, like the glass sunroof. And I lean down in it and I'm literally like through it with my legs hanging out the top. <laughs> I don't realize the passenger window is open. Oh, no. So I'm reaching for stuff and I, I see something like out the corner of my eye and I look over and all I see is this big black fist. Boom. Dude caught me breaking in his car. And I'm, I'm just a juvenile. I'm like 13. He runs out the door and he hits me. I mean, like a grown man, you're stealing my shit. You're going to get hit. Yep. He hits me and it crumples me. I fall through the sunroof like a rag doll into the car. <laughs> and uh, when I wake up, the police are there and they're pulling me out of the car and they're handcuffing me. And uh, off to the detention center, I went. It's The detention center does something to you, man. It strips you of, I already didn't feel like a child. I'd already been through more than most children had been through. But it kind of strips you of the... Once you become incarcerated, it strips you of the like the, the the joy of being a child, the normal child mindset. You know, you're around other kids. Like I remember the one girl I was in detention home with. She had she killed her mom. You know, we used Holy to sit fuck. in class together, and she would sit beside me, and she left her her folder sitting there one day, and in this folder on this page, like the front page, she had written like a thousand times or more, "I love you, mom. I'm sorry. I love you, mom. I'm sorry. I love you, mom. I'm sorry." Like front and back of these pages. And I talked to another kid and they're like, yeah, she shot her mom, like killed her mom. So then you come out of the detention center and now in the neighborhood, you're, you're like labeled the bad kid. Yep. So you don't go back to come out of the detention center and start doing good. You turn up, you got to kind of outdo what you've been doing. That's right. That's so right. That, that's what it was. It was constantly me trying to outdo myself. And it, it just became a cycle. I imagine you were in and out of that detention center for worse and worse each time. Longer stretches, I'd imagine, too. Yeah. And I just didn't care. I didn't care. At the end of the day, anything beat going home. Like to any children that are watching, I might deal with this. Anybody that was an abused child, you know, your worst fear is, is getting in trouble and having to go home and face that or having to face your old man. So to me, like there's times it wasn't even serious enough to go to the detention center and I'd be headed towards the cop car. You know what I mean? They're like, Looking they're, for right. Like, yeah. Like, come, come on, let's go. And they're like, no, yeah. you call your parents, come get you. And I'm like, no, nah. No, 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 no. I want to go to the detention center. And crazy enough, I never um, I never told them. Uh, and that's something I do regret. I think had I told them, I wouldn't have taken so many beatings. My brothers and sisters possibly wouldn't have taken so many beatings. But I never told the police. Not once. Like, he beats us. He hurts us. I don't want to go home. I'm scared. I would just yeah. gladly volunteer. Like, take me to the detention center. And he'd be like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, I really, I want to go to the detention center. Like so you that said, did, man, fear controls the room. Yeah, man. So I, you know, and then, but after that, after a while, when you come up on to, to becoming 18 years old and you took all these detention center trips, crime really no longer applies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like right and wrong, care about none of that. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
You know, I've already been locked up. I know what it is to be in a cage. I know what it is to be in a cell, to share a concrete room with another child. Like, so by the time I'm 18, I don't really, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm not scared of the consequences of the things I do. So I just kind of run wild and do whatever it is I want to do. What were you doing? Were you doing armories, um, assaults? Uh, I got in, I got big into selling drugs. That was okay. one of the first things. I started out selling weed and then I always sold weed. Like <laughs> all my, like my entire life, I sold weed. Even when I worked, I sold weed. But there, I was selling weed one day and a couple pulled up on me and asked me, could I get crack? And I knew some, some drug dealers out there. I knew guys that sold coke. I knew dudes that sold crack. And it had never really crossed my mind before. And I was like, yeah. And I ran down the block. I got it. I came back, gave it to him. I made $20 off of that little transaction. And when you're when you're nickeling and diamond selling nicks and dime bags of weed, like you're making $20 off an ounce. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're literally selling 20, 30 bags to make $20 off that ounce. Yep. I just did one hand to hand and made 20 bucks. So I kind of went from the, the, the selling weed, which I continued to sell weed, but now instead of just selling weed, I'm selling weed and crack. But then I got, and it got, it got, it only got worse from there because, um, the robberies, that's what I, that's what I went, went away for in Philly for. That's what I went away here in Virginia for my drinking. When I would get to drinking, like I just didn't care. I'd do whatever I wanted, hurt people. And there's no pride in saying that. So I don't want anybody to take this no. the wrong way. Like I'm boasting, but I would hurt people. And then I come to realize I don't have to hustle. I don't have to do this. They hustle. I just go take it from them. That's right. And my best friend, Philly, he's locked back up now. He's, he's doing nine. He was my co-defendant on my last case. He's a heavy hitter. I mean, heavy hitter, like one hitter quitter. He hits dudes, knocks them out cold, reconstructs their faces. Me and him linked up when um, I was probably maybe 16, and we were inseparable. But we were like the dynamic duo of crime. Like, whatever I said, you know, if I said, hey, I'm going to hit licks tonight, I'm going to rob dudes, he'd be like, All right, where we're going. It was no, do you want to go? It's like he was going to ride with me. He so emptied up. Yeah, man. So I went from from basically selling drugs to robbing people. And there was a certain, I, I can't I can't explain it, adrenaline rush that came with it, like afterwards getting away with it, the whole aspect of doing it, the, the free money or the, the come up, whatever it is, I got out of the situation. So I turned to robbery. And did that ever come back? to you on the street like did you ever rob a dealer and they come back at you get their backs uh we ah, crazy story man we robbed robbed a jamaican dude one time and we went to his house i called him and i had his money i used to sell weed for him like large amounts of weed and dude was telling me i talked to him on the phone he's like yeah my cousins and them are coming in town and we just got this he would always boast and he's telling me how they just got all this weed and yeah, just wait till my cousins leave and then you can come by and re-up. And I'm like, all right, well, that's not stopping the people from blowing me up. Like the page is going off. Like I need to, I need to re-up. So I, anytime I would go by there, it would always be his girl, his kid, and usually a couple dudes in there. Right. And so um, I told my homeboy one day, I was like, yo, I, I called his phone. I called the, the plug's phone and he was like, well, we're out shopping. I was like, damn, man, I'm out. I'm getting ready to head to your crib. He's like, nah, we're out shopping. We're not going to be home till later. So I'm like, all right. So I humped the phone and I looked at my homeboy and I was like, you're trying to hit a lick? And he was like, what's up? I was like, I'm going to hit the plug. 
And he was like, you're tripping, man. I was like, no, we're going to hit the plug. Fuck that shit. I know he's got 50, 60 pounds of weed in the house right now. It's just his baby mama and the kid at the house. Let's go. So he's like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, I fuck it. I'll, I'll go myself. You just drive me. He's like, nah, fuck it. Come on, let's go. So we hit the, we hit the switch. Um, we get up in there and the chick is like, she was gangster. She was super fucking gangster. The guns didn't intimidate her. She didn't give two shits. She told me several times, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And, um, so I turned it up a notch. Like I just started, I didn't, I didn't hurt her. I didn't hurt the kid, but I just started pointing the gun at people. You know what I mean? Letting her know, like, I don't want to get too much in detail. Just letting her know, like, shit, yeah. like you're going to come yeah. up off that. Or so she, uh, it's upstairs. It's in the clothes, hamper in the closet. It's in the clothes, hamper in the closet. So I tell him, I'm like, watch them. I go upstairs. I go into the bedroom and there's this clothes hamper with these clothes on it. And I move the clothes. And this is one of these big white clothes hampers. And it's got these compressed just bricks of weed in it. So I throw the whole clothes hamper down the stairs. I grab the blanket off the bed and throw that down the stairs. And then when I get to that, I should have just took the damn clothes hamper. Yeah. When I get to the bottom of the stairs, I take all the shit and I put it in the blanket and I boom, throw it over my back. And I'm like, come on, let's go. So we leave. No sooner than we leave. Um, this is in the pager days. My pager starts going off and it's him. It's the plug. Hit me up. Nine one one, nine one one, nine one one, nine one one. So eventually I call him because I'm, you know, you try to play it off. We had our face covers and shit, but I'd been there so many times. She knew my voice. His baby mom yeah. knew who I was. She ain't stupid. So he's telling me, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. These dudes are like, I'm like, I, just, I ain't do nothing. I'm still playing it off. Like, yo, you're tripping, bro. I ain't done nothing. Like, I, look, you got me confused. I didn't do it. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. Well, we lived in a blue house. And at this point, we're living in the hood. Like, we're living off a place called Lynn Haven, and our neighbor's house is blue as well. They didn't know where I lived, but they knew about where I lived. So they go through there and they're asking them some of the crackheads out there and some of the you know tricks and stuff that are out there. And one of the tricks I come to find out tells them, yeah, he lives on such and such street in the blue house. So we're all sitting in the living room. There's a whole bunch of us. We're in there. I remember we're drinking, drinking ice house and we're stacking cans. And I think we were playing the Dreamcast at the time. And we hear shots ring out, like just automatic gunfire. All oh, this gunfire erupts. So we Everybody hits the ground and we start crawling to where our guns are at, trying to get our guns out. And then we realize like no bullets are coming through the house. And then we hear wheels squeal and cars pull off and we go outside. They shot our neighbor's house up. Like and our neighbor were, and there was an older black couple. They were Christians, very big into church. They came down our street, saw the blue house. The first blue house was theirs. Our house was the second blue house. And they opened fire, Swiss cheese on people's house. Well, they tried to get up out of there, and crazy enough, I ran into this dude in prison. But um, crazy oh, wow. enough, they they try to get out the neighborhood real quick. When they do, they blow through a stop sign, and we had drug task forces sat out there. This neighborhood is known for selling crack, selling weed, like prostitution. So the jump outs sit in the shadows and watch to try to catch people doing hand-to-hands. Well, they hear all this gunfire erupt. This car comes flying by them, blows through the stop sign. They pull it, and everybody in the car goes to jail, and they get arrested with the guns. Shit. So that was kind of like a situation like they, they twist cheese, shot my neighbor's house all up. And then not even within a minute later, because of their driving, they get pulled over with all the guns in the car and go to jail. Man. And you eventually <laughs> yeah. ran into this guy again? I did. I did. And he wasn't he wasn't a big dude, man. He was dangerous with a gun. You know oh, what yeah. I mean, yeah. wasn't a dude that if you squared off with like, well, come on in, let's go over here and handle this. That was really big into fighting. He was more big into the AK-47, 
you know, Glock type shit, like peel your head Just, back. Yeah. But he, he wasn't big into the to the fighting thing. And I ran into him on the yard one day, walking the track in prison, and we walked by each other. And they make you cut your hair in prison. Yeah. So he looked way different in prison than he did on the streets, because on the streets he had all these dreads and he kept them tied up in a big ball on top of his head. But now in prison, he's got a close cut. And many years have passed and we walked by each other and I looked at him and it didn't register at first, but I knew it was bad. Like when we made eye contact, I just got that feeling in my stomach. Like I've done this dude wrong at some point because he noticed me and like yeah. my head. I had a bald head back then. Well, a, a, a fade. So hadn't much changed about my appearance, but a lot had changed about his, but we ended up talking about it. And, um, you know, is he was doing a whole lot of time. He got they ended up when they searched the car, they went to his house and they found all types of weapons, all types of other drugs and stuff. So he got a bunch of time. And uh I told him, I said, it's, it's whatever you want to do, man. You know what I mean? I told you I didn't rob you. Y'all came by, y'all shot the neighbor's house up trying to kill me. Like, what are you trying to do? And he was like, I got other shit to worry about now, man. That's the least things, you know. What I mean, that's the least thing that's on my mind. So I, I afforded him the opportunity to do what he wanted to do, but I still denied it. I'm not gonna lie. I still, yeah. even to that day, standing face to face with him, like hell no, nah, I ain't do it. You yeah. shot my house up for no reason, homeboy. I was loyal to you. I never did you wrong, but I was a dirtbag. I was lying. It was me. I always wanted a gun just because I didn't need a gun. I wanted the gun, and I never even took that fucking thing out more than twice. I just kept it under my mattress. What did you get your gun for? Did you feel you needed it or did you just want it? I needed it. A lot of my friends were being shot. A lot of my friends were dying and being out in the streets. You had to have it. There was no if, ands or buts about it. You had to have it. Like the, the corners we posted up on the streets, we walked down. You had dudes that were out there looking to rob people. You know what I mean? You had dudes that were, they were fighting over territory and gunfire was an overnight thing. I'm not going to say gunfire with me involved in it was an overnight thing, but the places I was at at the moment, there was never a night you were out there and you didn't hear gunshots. You know, like the people around me were losing their lives. I had a homeboy, rest in peace, Bobby Ramsey, who at the time had just been shot in the neck and at 19 years old was paralyzed, completely paralyzed, you know, at 19, went from being an yeah. athletic, bulky dude to laying in a bed with a hose in his throat because He'll never walk again. And he never did walk again. He died 10 years later from complications of being in a bed, um, you know, and getting bed sores and stuff. But no, the gun became um, once I found out the power that a gun held. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially with the robberies and stuff and that it didn't matter how big you were. Everybody respects the guns. People would talk this and that. Oh, he put the gun in my face and I slapped it. If you do something like that, either, you know, the guy that's holding the gun is a bitch. Or you're, there's something off up here. 